In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about promises. Promises made, promises kept, promises perhaps not kept. Today, we want to continue our story and um, see if God has a little bit more insight to give us. So if you brought your Bible with, with you, or if you didn't, there's one in the pew in front. Open it up to the book of 1 Samuel. We've been reading the story about a woman, <clears throat> a mom, who made a promise. And uh, we just want to follow along the story, and so feel free to just follow along with me. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We spoke last week how um, there was a family composed of Elkanah the father who had two wives. One who's Penny, who uh, had borne him children, several of them, and one whose name was Hannah, who was, uh, had, did, did not have any kids. And how this situation had created a sense of strife in the home, uh, a rivalry, the Bible calls it, between uh, the two ladies in the household. I spoke last week uh, on how important uh, having children was uh, to um, this culture, this community, especially to, to women. Uh, and to a family as a whole, because it was through the children that you would be able to pass on inheritance and your family name uh, and your legacy. It's not very different from today, but there was a bit more uh, weightiness to having and being able to bear a child. And the Bible tells us, we read last week in chapter 1, that Hannah, because she could not have a child, felt somehow uh, less than adequate, both in culture and in the family. And it wasn't just because she felt that way, it was because Penny, or Penina, her rival, would provoke her and tease her and constantly put her down. So the Bible tells us, we read the story last week, how uh, this family would go up from time to time during the religious festivals up to the temple of the Lord to do what was um, customary, to give offerings to God, to, to um, make a sacrifice and to worship God. And, and, and we read a story specifically there in, in, in this chapter of Samuel, First uh, Samuel, that when they would go up to do this, um, this sacrificial exercise, that this was the time that was most distressing for Hannah. Because this was the, the time that Penny took the opportunity to belittle her and to make fun of her and to provoke her. And no matter what Elkanah, the father, the husband did, Hannah just would not be consoled. So this is where we pick up the story. We'll read once again. This is verse 9, chapter 1. Okay, just follow along with me and then we'll take it up from there. And once when they had finished eating, they were up at the temple doing the sacrificial dinner, etc. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, a promise. And she said, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. In bitterness of soul is a phrase that, that the Bible uses to describe a deep darkness. More than just um, sadness, it was more like depression, something that overcame her, something that prevented her from enjoying even during uh, celebration times, something that was uh, stuck inside of her that she could not overcome. 
And so the Bible describes her praying in bitterness of soul, in deep, dark depression, and she comes before God and she makes this promise, this vow, and she throws it out there. We talked about this last week. Oh, Lord Almighty, if you would just remember me, if you would look on me, if you would acknowledge what I'm going through, if you would just have some mercy and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. What was she really asking for in making this promise? Did she want a son? Yes. Would it have made life better for her in terms of society and culture and the family? Absolutely. But what was she really asking for? Look at her prayer. She says, if you will only look upon your servant's misery. Have you ever felt like you're going through something and it's just really, it's making you miserable? Have you ever felt like it's, uh, you, you might be going through a situation that, that has created a cloud of darkness on your life, and it's pressing you down? Have you ever used that word? Uh, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I mean, it's a little dramatic. We don't, you know, when you say that, you, know, you say, oh, I'm not doing so well. But you go, oh, I'm miserable. You're a little dramatic. But when you think of the word misery, it's not just, you know, inconvenience. It's not just I'm having a bad day. Misery is, is, is deep. It's suffering. It's prolonged. And she says, oh, Lord, look upon your servant's misery and remember me. There's something that's going on inside our heart that is, that is a battle. We talked about how she had made this promise and how this would probably uh, solve some of the equations in the home, put her in the rightful place as the beloved wife of Elkanah. But, but look at the battle that's going on. Okay, just, we're just going to look at this promise here. Oh, Lord Almighty, if you would look upon your servant's misery and remember me. She's making two claims in this prayer. She's saying, God, you don't know what I'm going through. Look upon your servant's misery. Look. Look. Um, yesterday, uh, my daughter was, uh, I came in through the door, and she says, Dad, Papa, I need your help. What's wrong? What's wrong? And then, you know, kids are, look, look, they want to show you the thing. So she had a little scrape uh, on the bottom of her toe. But she was like, look, look. You know, she wanted to put it, look, I want, look at it. I want you, I'm like, oh, you'll be fine. It's just a scratch. No, no, no. Look at it. She's, she's making this assumption that I don't understand or I don't see it. I'm ignoring it. And then, yes, you know, in all fairness, I was probably running in another house. But if you look at this prayer, that's what Hannah's doing. She's saying, God, look, look, look. And it's, it's based on this idea that essentially, because she's going through difficult times, she's assuming that God is not looking. Have you ever found yourself thinking about God in those in those terms? That God somehow doesn't know what you're going through? That God somehow doesn't understand or is, is oblivious to the kind of suffering that you're going through, the kind of challenges that you're facing? So she says, look on my misery. Look, God, look. You're not looking. That's what my daughter says to me. I saw you before. No, you're not looking. Look. And I says, look, Dad. Look, God. Look at my misery. And then she says, and remember me. This is another accusation that she is leveling against God. She's saying, you've forgotten about me. You've forgotten about me. Look upon my misery and remember me. 
She's saying, you don't know, you don't understand, and maybe you did at some point, but right now I'm the furthest thing from your mind, and you have forgotten about me. See, uh, Hannah was um, part of a household of, of, I described this last week, uh, of Levites. Elkanah was a descendant of the tribe of Levi, which means that uh, his a father and his father before him had passed on the knowledge of God. And they were, in fact, uh, one of the people that, that would have been placed as leaders of a church somewhere. So, so Hannah grew up in a household, uh, at least from the time that she was married, but is essentially in her clan, that she grew up with this idea of who God was, what he had done in the past, how he had delivered, the promises that he had made, and specifically the covenants that God had made. Promises to bless, promises to, 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 to bring fruitfulness, promises to provide, specifically in the tribe of Levi. As I told you before, God had told the Levites, he had said, I will be your inheritance. You don't need to own land, I will be the source that provides for you. God says, all you need is me. And so throughout uh, their married life, as they, uh, you know, moved and relocated, as they went down and worshipped at Shiloh, these were the words that would continue to echo that Elkanah, as the man of the house, would, would repeat during family worship. These are the teachings and the ideas. And, and Hannah says, I've heard all that, but somehow I'm not sure that you remember, God, that you promised to bless me. And I stopped and thought about this prayer because I think that oftentimes, even maybe just this past week, for you and me, we have felt this way. That the things that we're going through, well, maybe they're not misery compared to what other people are going through, but for us, they can feel like misery, a prolonged battle against something, some dark cloud I think it was Wednesday, in fact. I look outside right now, and the sun makes me happy. But Wednesday, uh, there was morning clouds, and usually I expect them to go away. But they hung around on lunch, and they were, in the, they were there in the afternoon, and they just kept hanging around. That makes me sad. That makes me depressed myself. It's, uh, I, I, that's because, I'll be honest, because it reminds me of the kind of emotional clouds that hover around me. And when you're going through something like that, it's easy, I think, to think and speak in these terms. Oh, God, you're not looking at me. You don't see what I'm going through. Remember, you've forgotten about me. She says, do not forget your servant. And then she poses a challenge before God. Two accusations and a challenge. You're not looking. You've forgotten about me. Now give me a son <laughs> Give me a son. It's not really that, that bold, I think, because I think we do it all the time. We come to prayer and we say, God, look at what I'm in. Look at the problem. Now, if you really are God, because I've heard that and prayed that, if you're really there, if you are who you say you are, then do something, right? Don't we want a God who does something? Don't we want a God who actually keeps his word and keeps his promises? Don't we want a father who follows through on the things that he has said he was going to do. So she says, now give me a son. But then 
She puts this little ribbon on that. And if you give me a son, then I will give him back. He will be given over. He will be handed over all the days of his life. It's an interesting promise. Because, yes, on the one hand, we have been talking, we will talk about uh, the fact that um, the way this promise gets fulfilled and what happens later is, is a tremendous miracle of God. But what I want you to wrestle for just a moment is what's going on inside her head when she's making this prayer. There's this ambivalence about the true nature of who God is. So we say, God, I'm not sure you know what I'm, I'm not sure you understand me. I'm not sure you care. And I'm not sure you can do anything about it. You see that there? Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever felt like that? God, don't you see what I'm going through? Come on. Look. It's like when it rains, it pours. And, and, and everything happens in threes. And er, look, God. I'm getting it from every corner. I'm being blindsided. What's going on? Look upon my misery, she says. And if you give me a son, and then she says, but if you give me a son, I will give him back. I will give him back to you. Bible says, we read this before, that in that moment as she was wrestling and in bitterness of soul, struggling with the true nature of God, struggling with her sense of belief that God is actually real and that it matters to believe in him. The priest was sitting on his chair nearby. Verse 12, and as she was praying, Eli observed her kind of like mumbling, and he said to her, uh, look, this is not the place to be, you know, inebriated, so please clean yourself up and go home. And she says, no, 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 not so, my Lord. We read this last week. I'm a woman, this is verse uh, 15, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled, again, deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking, I haven't doing any of that. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. I'm, I'm not a wicked woman. I'm just praying out of my deep anguish and grief. And Eli says, oh, okay. In that case, go in peace. And, and may, may the God of Israel grant whatever you've asked him. Go in peace. See, sometimes as a pastor, uh, it's one of the hardest things to do to have something to say when someone is pouring out their soul to God. Right? Um, think about it. When you have a, a medical ailment, you know, you go to the doctor. Uh, my wife is a family practitioner, so she'll sit, she'll listen, and she tries to diagnose. Right? And once she's come up with the diagnosis, she says, okay, now here's my prescription. You go down to the pharmacy, and then, you know, you put your copay, and you'll get some medications and some pills, and then you take them, and then it'll be fixed. And people want something. Oftentimes when people come to see her, there is no medication for their condition. It's just, it's going to, uh, specifically like, like colds and, and um, you know, respiratory ailments, they're going to clear up. But everyone wants the little magic pill, right? Something, show me something. Give me the Zithro pack. Give me something. And when she doesn't, they get really upset. You know, well, put yourself in a uh, pastor's position for just a second. And, uh, and the, the priest position. When someone comes and pours out their soul in their great grief, and this woman is saying, I don't have a son, I don't have an heir, I don't have purpose, I don't have meaning, God has forgotten about me. What's he supposed to say? What prescription can he give her? What magic words would be enough to make her go, oh, I feel better now. 
That was fantastic. It's tough. I'll be honest with you. The only thing we have are these words, these phrases, these thoughts, and these ideas. And Eli does what every good pastor would do. He would say, go in peace. May God bless you. Has that been enough for you? Has that been insufficient for you? When you've come to church and heard a sermon, when you've come and talked to your pastor or your spiritual mentor, and you say, I got this big problem, go in peace. God bless you. Has that been enough for you? It's difficult, isn't it? And Hannah's struggling. And he says, may God give you whatever you have. He doesn't even really know. Did you, did you notice that? He didn't say, well, what's the problem? <laughs> what, what are you upset about? What, what, why all the grief, all the, all the anguish? She just says, I've been pouring out my soul to God. And Eli says, well, then go in peace. Go in peace. I'll be frank. Sometimes I wrestle with that. because when, when people come to see me, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I'm not a genie. I can't pull stuff out of a hat. And I'm not a doctor. I can't really give prescriptions. All we've got is these words and, and, and our prayers. I wish I had some, you know, like thing. I have a friend who, um, who's a physical therapist, and I, he has like magic hands. I, it's kind of an inside joke. But whenever someone says, oh, I have this pain right here, oh, he go, oh okay, hold on. And he does like the, the Mr. Miyagi thing where... You guys know who Mr. Miyagi is? Yeah, you know who Mr. Miyagi is. Well, he does this thing, and his hands get, like, super hot, and he puts his hand on his shoulder. He, like, hovers. He's done it to me, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's just like, and then he starts doing the, and then before you know it, it's like, whoa, that's magic. I wish I had something where someone says, I'm in deep distress. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. Can you see my misery? And I go, hold on a second. Now let me put my hands on you. And it seems silly, and yet that's essentially what Eli does. Go in peace. May God bless you. And what's even more fascinating is her response. We talked about this before. She says, all right then, may your servant find favor in your eyes. She says, okay, if that's what you say, I'm going to trust those words. I'm going to believe in those words. You said, God bless me. I'm going to trust those. I've known those words, heard those words. But in this moment, if that's what you say, may it be so. We say that. We amen. And the Bible tells us that she went on her way and finally ate something. Something's going on in her heart. Something might be similar to what's going on in your heart. There's this confusion about who God is, uncertainty that he cares or believes in you, or uncertainty he can do anything about it. And the priest comes and he says, God is going to bless you. May God bless you. Believe in him. Do not give up. He is who he says he is. And she says, amen then, amen. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because she's got nowhere else to go. And no one else to ask. And no one else who's offering anything but ridicule. And the priest says, may God bless you. And she says, okay, I'm going to take you at your word. And she goes home and they worship together. The Bible says early next morning they worship together. And of course the Bible, you know, tells us quickly. And in the course of time, Hannah gave birth to a son and named him Samuel because she said, I asked the Lord for him. 
I asked him, and he gave me a son. I asked him, and he gave me a son. And, and that could have been the miraculous end of the story, but it isn't, as you know. That could have been the point where we say, wow, God really does stuff. But it's one thing when God does stuff for other people, right? Because you've heard a lot of those. People come up here and talk about, oh, you know, miraculous things that God may have done. Mission spotlight time. You'll see the pictures and things. Like, That's fantastic. It appears that God is alive and well and is doing stuff for everybody else but me. That's exactly how she feels. That's why she prays this prayer. And she gets the same blessing in response that you probably have received. God bless you. But you see, God is not just a God of words. He's a God of action. The only thing we don't understand is what he's up to. Because <laughs> he's God. And we can't always see the forest from the trees, as they say. And God blesses her with a son, and she names him Samuel because she recognizes, and then she remembered her promise. We read this. Um, I'll read it again. And, 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 and when the time came for them to go back up to the church and worship, the Bible tells us that Elkanah said, come on, our family, let's go. And she says, no, not yet. I'm not ready yet. She says, not until the boy is weaned. And then Elkanah did the wisest thing. He said, whatever you want to do, honey, I trust you. You just go ahead. <laughs> whatever you say, baby. Because, yeah, and um, he, he says, do whatever seems best to you. Verse 23, she says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of him now. When he's weaned, I'm going to take him, and then he will be handed over to live with God for always, for the rest of his life. And she, he says, okay, cool, that's fine. Um, and then he went, and she stayed for a few years, the Bible tells us, until he was weaned, which was probably somewhere around three years old. And then, verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, with a three-year-old bull, and, and went to, to, to visit the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And once they had gone through all that stuff, she went and spoke to the priest, who, you know, kind of an old man. He didn't remember. He said, as she says, look, do you remember me? She says, as surely as I live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here three years past, four years ago, and was pouring out my soul. And you said, God bless you. Maybe you did not understand the weight of those words. But here is this child, evidence that God does bless here is this child. I prayed for him. God gave me to him what I asked. And so now I. That's an important part right there. And so now I. So now I. She says, I prayed for him. I didn't think he was looking. I thought he had forgotten about me. I even challenged him. But now I recognize God does indeed bless. And so now I, and so now I, because I see that God blesses me, so now I. What's important for you and I to understand today is that the so now I did not happen first when the child was born. It happened before that. It happened when the priest said, God bless you. So now I will eat again. So now I will worship again. So now I will go home and trust. So now I will keep on living. So now I will keep on trusting. So now I will keep on singing. 
This moment that we're looking at right here when she comes, it's a crowning moment. But this isn't, the, this isn't where it begins. It begins before anything has actually happened to give evidence of God's blessing. I'll tell you why. Because God always requires your trust. Remember me. Don't forget me. Do something for me. God says, I really can't until you trust me. Because I have already been blessing you. Had God been ignoring her? No. The Bible says God is everywhere, sees everything, and is aware. Had God forgotten about her? No. God says, even if your own mom forgets about you, I never will. Never leave you, nor forsake you. You cannot run from me. You cannot hide from me. If you're in the depths, I will be there. If you rise to the heights, I will be there. Apostle Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us. Had God forgotten about her? No. Had God been ignoring her? No. Had God not been blessing her? No. She had given him a good man, a man who understood. Whatever you want to do, honey. She had given her a family, a place, a man who loved her. Had God ignored her and not blessed her to this point? Absolutely not. But just because God blesses you doesn't mean the devil isn't out to get you, see? Some of us think because when the devil's attacking, oh, God has forgotten. It's not really true. Both of these things are happening. And so she begins to realize when the priest says, God bless you, she says, you're right. You're right. So now I will worship. And she begins to worship there. And now when she brings the boy, the Bible tells us, she brings the boy and gives him up. And he begins to worship. And she sings and prays this prayer. Read it with me, chapter 2. My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the lo- in, the, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. It's a fabulous poem and a prayer that she begins to pray. And she, she goes and she continues. The bowels, oh, do not keep talking so proudly at your mouth. Speak arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows. You see the difference? For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. He understands. He sees your cuts and your bruises. He knows. He feels it too. She says, <clears throat> the bowels of words are broken, but those who, are st- who stumble are armed with strength. She who was barren has borne seven children. The Lord brings death and makes alive, brings down the graves and raises up. Lord sends poverty and wealth. She begins to see that God is at work at all times, even when you are going through difficulties. God isn't only present when things are great. No, in fact, God is always present. And he sees you and he understands you. This is what she's saying. She's saying he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. Has them inherits the throne. For the, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and upon them he has set the world. She says everything belongs to God. Everything. Every place that you step into, every family you're a part of, every business that you start, every situation, every challenge, every hurdle you have to overcome, everything is the Lord. And she says, and he will guard the feet of his saints. Woo. Think about it. Think about where you are right now. Some of you are like me. 
struggling. What, what do I do? What do I do? Shall, shall I go this way? Shall I go that way? God, help me out. God already knows. God has been listening. He's been paying attention. All his waiting is for your trust. And she says, it is not by strength that one prevails. It is not by strength that one prevails. This is the fantastic moment in this woman's journey. When she finally realizes when she was crying in anguish and when she was suffering in darkness and bitterness, when she was trying to get over this, she didn't know how, she finally realizes, she says, it is not by strength that one prevails. You cannot defeat the thing that's in front of you by just trying harder. You cannot overcome the temptations that seem to pull you down by just willpower and by trying harder. It is not by strength. It is by trust. Trust. Trust in these simple words. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. 